Welcome to Functional Design Enclosure. I am Nate Jones. And I'm Christoph Newman. Each week, we discuss a software design problem and how we might solve it using functional principles and the Closure programming language. So Christoph, what's on your mind this week? Well, this week, I thought we would continue to dig into this uh, problem, this Twitter problem that we have. The problem, of course, of putting things on Twitter in the first place. <laughs> You're going to have to be more specific about what problem you have with Twitter. Yes. <laughs> which which one? Uh, yeah, so so last week we were talking about uh, getting things posted on Twitter in a, in a consistent way, posting on a schedule, and just right. using the power of closure to help us automate that a bit and and explore some of the fun problems that come up whenever you have one of these things. Right. Yes. This is this is the you writing code to solve laziness um, or to help out with laziness. I think. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> so. I, yeah. I'm I'm imagining an XKCD com- comic right now. You know, should I automate it? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you if you haven't seen that one, go read it. <laughs> Exercise for the listener. <laughs> so so. As with most things in closure, it seems like a great place to start for this is talking about what we want to keep track of, right? Like what what data do we have at hand? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, trying to lay out our our, our data, well, all, all the data, not not just our data, but you know the Twitter data too. We need to figure out what 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 data we we have to work with so that we know. Um, it'll help inform what what operations we can do, you know. Right. Yeah, it's it's important because there's data in in our zone, right? Data that we control, and then there's data outside of our zone. You know, data from a foreign land, if you will. <laughs> Twitter, Twitter data, right? So we so when we make a call and we get back data from Twitter, we have basically no control over that. And whereas the stuff that we keep track of, we do have control over. And yeah. so, so yeah, we, there's definitely something there. Yeah, we had, we had some good discussion back when we were talking about our terminal Twitter uh, client about how we would take the, 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 the voluminous, overwhelming data that we get from Twitter and, and distill it down to, you know, uh, 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 what it's, it's still Twitter's data, but it's our version of Twitter's data. And we used a schema to check that. So um, if you want to kind of dig into that a little bit, we have more discussion back there. Um, but in the end, the data is still, like I said, is still controlled by Twitter. And so we have to know what is our view of that. Right. It's it's like we get to we get to ask Twitter for information. Twitter hands back information. We get to hang on to it. Um and not too tightly, <laughs> just hang on to it and use it for reference. Exactly. So how about if we start with what is in our data? Yes. Yes, this so is... So definitely our- like the content we want to post, right? The the status. Is that what Twitter calls it? Like your, your status? Yeah. Which kind of seems funny now, you know? Yeah, it seems like very moment in time as opposed to like content, I feel like. You know, it's. I feel like I feel like Twitter is more of a microblog platform than a. This is my status right now. A stream of status updates. Although, right. I think that has 
has changed over the lifetime of Twitter. Um, okay. So yeah. we'll call this thing like the text. Yeah. It's like the text to post. And then we need some kind of when to post. So I think we should represent that as like a Unix timestamp, right? Number of number of milliseconds from the epoch. Oh, right. Yeah. Because um, then, then we don't have to mess with storing um, a time zone because... The, the 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 milliseconds to the epoch is it's it's outside of any time zone it, it's it's right it is it's a true instant so to speak right there. it's a point That's it's a right. universal point in time and then what's nice is we talked about there's a web UI in front of this that we're gonna just ignore <laughs> and assume exists and what's cool about that web UI is the browser can take one of those timestamps and it can turn it into a localized time for that person's web browser, right? So let's say uh, <laughs> you, you decide to travel, I don't know, travel east many hours, and, uh, and then you decide to open it up and edit it, and, and your, your computer clock has changed, then you'll see times in that time zone. And if I open it up, you know, in the west, then I'll see times in, in my time zone, right? So, so we can defer the problem of localizing to the browser in this case. Yeah, and that's a good place to localize, especially because we've already talked enough about time for for a while. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, okay, our status, when to post. Um, gosh, I mean, how do we know that it's been posted? Well, uh, we can have like a, how about if we say like, you know, a, a posted, you know, timestamp. Oh, like a true posted? True. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, how about maybe okay. a little bit better would be instead of posted true, we actually use some information that would be relevant from Twitter to, to, to indicate, you know, some, something that only Twitter could provide that if it's present in our data structure, then it must mean that the, that, we, that it's been posted like, like, right. uh, like the ID or something of the tweet or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. The ID of the tweet. Yeah. So basically if we have an ID for the tweet, we, we know it's been posted, right? It's like, here, here's the Twitter, here is, here's a correlating identifier for the Twitter version of this thing, which, of course, we all know is going to have a lot more data <laughs> if we want to go look it up. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a um, in database terms, it's a foreign key, right? It's, it's information that points somewhere else, but that's all it needs to do. So we don't need to store all right. of the rest of the stuff from Twitter in there. You know, just 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 an ID that points to it, and because it's there, we know that there's a record somewhere out there in the Twitter Twitterverse. Yeah. So those those posted flags, those binary posted flags, they they kind of always remind me of that like politeness form we have in English, where you ask somebody a rhetorical question, like oh, yeah. you know, we're 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 both cooking in the kitchen, and it's like, hey Nate, do you have that knife? And and you're like, oh, why? Well, yes, I do have that knife. Thank you for asking. <laughs> but what you really mean, what you really mean is like, what what I really mean, I should say, when I ask that is like, hey, can I have that knife because I want to use it now, <laughs> right? Right. So it's yes. like posted. Yes, it has been posted. It is on the internet somewhere. <laughs> Congratulations. It's like, but what if I want to check to make sure it's on the internet? Where 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 has it been posted? So getting the Twitter ID is a little bit more validity there. 
Yeah, and also somewhat more useful um, because then, yeah, like you said, true or false doesn't really help me with any more questions other than if it was posted or not. Right, right, because Twitter, so Twitter can do some things, like if, if you put a URL, I know Twitter can mangle the URL. I don't know if it happens automatically. We haven't really gotten this bot up and working yet, so I, I, I do know it can mangle the URL, so the text might change, right? So now I can, now I can use this ID to go look it up, and I can go, oh, wow, does a status that Twitter has match the text that I typed? You know, even yeah. though this is correlating ID lets me know they're related. Not only that, but Twitter also truncates when you say, when you get a list of tweets, it actually truncates if your tweet's too long, which I think is funny because Twitter is like, the, by definition, short short text blobs. But um, but yeah, so even then, it, like the URLs are munged and the tweet could be, be truncated. So having something that's not text-based would be, is by far a better identifier. Yeah. And then in in terms of like other proofs, you know, it'd be interesting to record the timestamp when we thought we posted it. Right? Cuz there's like two sides to a conversation, right? There's there's what I say and what you hear. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. So many times. Uh <laughs> Um but yeah, there's there's actually a lot more information that we could we could store in our in our in our version of the tweet, you know, so to speak. Uh, we could say, you know, how many times have uh, have we uh, attempted to post the tweet, and you know, uh, when was the last time? I mean, you can you, there's all kinds of bookkeeping you can keep track of in there. Yeah, and so I guess the, the important thing to note here is what is the story that you need to tell on your side, right? So, so Nate, I don't know if you remember, we were working on a project where we had to trigger commercials in Twitch. And, and oh, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, we were working with a company that needed to know that those commercials got triggered and needed to have a, an accurate log of all the commercials that got twi- triggered. And then Twitch would produce its own record of commercials. And then we, we, so we, we had to have sort of our side of the story written down and Twitch would have their side of the story written down. And then that allowed the businesses to compare the stories. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh yes. So, so, so yeah. much of our lives is telling stories and then yes, to be able to compare stories is a, is a super important thing. And so in that specific case, it became really important to, to have documented reasons why commercial triggers didn't, didn't agree, you know? So it's like, well, we tried right. to trigger the commercial, but but your server said, oh, internal server error. <laughs> so we're we're trying to meet the requirements for you know number of commercial minutes per hour. We're trying, to, we're gosh, trying to obey your it, command. Yes. Yeah, it, it certainly would work a lot better if your system didn't you know die. <laughs> yeah. So bringing it back to posting on Twitter, I think like if I pull up the UI and it says, hey, you know, you didn't this tweet hasn't gone out yet and I scheduled it to post two days ago. Well, it'd be nice to know why and how many, you know, what the record of, of the attempts was, not just I couldn't post, you know. Right, right. If this thing hasn't, if this time has passed, you know, if its hour is up, so to speak, but yet we still don't have an ID, it does sort of 
make you want to ask this question, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> right? So, yeah, so there's, there's sort of a narrative, if you will, that for us humans, right? I mean, the computer doesn't care, but, but what, do, what do we want to keep track of to, to help us understand the, the, the timeline of, of what happened? Yeah, it's almost like having a a a, a, a log of what the what the app tried to do over time, you know, as a separate data structure. Because you you could put it in the same data structure, like as a as a nested key, you know, like attempt right. logs or whatever. Um, but then every time you load that data up, you know, you're you're loading up all that all that extra information, you know. Um, so it might be it might yes. be good to have distinct data structures on our side. To handle the yeah. So, use what cases. about an attempt log, right? So yeah. every time, every time we try to post something, then we we take whatever Twitter gives us back, and if it was successful, we we pull the ID out of it, and we write that down in the post. You know, in the actual, we update that table that has our the the post we wanted, you right? Know, mm-hmm. The tweet, and then and then we also record here's what we sent and here's what we got and write that down in some kind of like attempt log. Oh yeah. We could even have and, like the, include the whole, the whole request and response, you know, heck why not? Sure. You know, it's just, it's just, sure. it's, you don't really, we don't really know what we might need to inspect later to figure out why things went, went awry. And so having more right. data is better. Yeah. Just, just take all the stuff and just write it down. You know, it's a big document. If you're if you're in uh, SQL, I guess you just uh, serialize, you know, PRSDR the sucker into a giant string and, and dump it in a, <laughs> a field. Or if you're using <laughs> something that can understand JSON, then turn it into JSON and write it down that way. You know, what? however you need to write it down. I think Mongo, we can usually just throw these things. We use Mongo a lot or document-oriented databases. Throw it over the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And so then, so then we can look, and, and, and all of a sudden now there's these questions, right? We talked uh, in our last few episodes about vocabulary. So now we could even build up a vocabulary about what happened, <laughs> right? Some functions that know how to query the database in and find all the tweets that haven't been posted yet. And then uh, if it finds one that hasn't been posted and it's been longer than a particular period of time, it gives us a nice formatted summary of data we found useful in those responses, right? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Once you have the data stored somewhere, then you can, you can, you can. It's like it's like the data buffet we talked about before, or the big right. bag of data. You know, doesn't matter how big it is. Um, you just gotta. It it allows you to write many different predicates to to find the to find out information later to ask new questions that you didn't even think of. Yeah, for sure. And so I think then kind of recognizing where the data came from. So that data in the request log, or did I call it an attempt log? Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. that's what I called it. <laughs> like part of that data is going to be ours, and then part of that data is going to be Twitter's, right? We'll have some kind of containing structure that will probably have like the ID of the, the post that we attempted. And of, of our post, yeah. Yeah, the timestamp we attempted it, and then it'll probably have like details, <laughs> and then whatever Twitter gives us under that, <laughs> Twitter details, yeah, Twitter even... slash details, right? Oh yeah, yeah, like that. And that that makes a lot of sense to be like to to try to to add some namespaces to this so that we can kind of 
take sections of the data and not have to nest them um, in in this in this larger structure. Yeah. Yeah, and so so then I guess what what does that it, it kind of pivots the core problem, right? So then the core problem is our application needs to wake up. So there's going to be some timer, so some kind of long long running thing that we said before. Our application needs to wake up and then it it basically queries a database and says, "Okay, give me the give me the 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 tweet that isn't doesn't have an ID yet, and it's the most recent like timestamp to post. It's the most imminent. Yeah, it's the one. Yeah, it's the, the one most, I need to post next. Right, and and then it goes. Okay, well, what time? What time is that? Has is is that time in the past? <laughs> oh, it's not. Okay, go to sleep. Right. Oh yes, that right. the the, t- the hour has arrived. We shall post. So then it it goes off and it it does the request to Twitter. And then if we get errors back, well, whether no matter what happens, we'll just record the attempt. But if it was successful, it will modify that thing. It will do an update to the database record and write down the ID. And if it wasn't successful, well, heck, just leave it alone, right? You have the you have the attempt log to tell you the story if you need it. Yeah, I think that's a great simplification. Um, is is don't load up all the tweets that needed to be, you know that need to be posted in the next year or whatever, like just load up the next one. Just right. handle the brick in front of you. And if you keep doing that, you'll eventually build the wall, right? It's just, it's it, it makes it much easier to know also uh, if something was posted or not um, because you're just working on that one thing. So may, it might be good also, like say, so so maybe this, how about this for a scenario? You know, you, you grab the, da- the tweet out of the database you go to post to Twitter. Twitter sends you back uh, an error, but it actually ends up being posted. Do you write the error down and you don't huh? modify our post? How do we prevent a double post from happening? Oh, that's interesting. So you're saying we get an error back, but it actually succeeded. So maybe it was some kind of like timeout or something. Like yeah. Twitter got it and then Twitter's, Twitter <laughs> forgot to tell us <laughs> or the, yeah, our computer's network connection dropped right then. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't, we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to double post, you know, cause there are social conventions around tweeting. We don't want to cross those. Um, and so in addition to note to having the list, like I, I we need to have the, the latest tweet or the, the next, the most imminent tweet to post, we should also maybe grab, you know, the uh, the most recent tweets, so we can kind of compare, okay. cross compare. Is the text of the tweet I'm about to post in any of the the tweets that I've recently posted? Um, and oh, if like so, do a measure of similarity. Yeah, like thing. or I, I mean, because you know the the like we said before, Twitter will t- truncate the text or will maybe munge with the URLs a little bit, but you know. At the beginning of the tweet is the same, you know, the same first 30 characters or something like we just have to do some sort of a heuristic there, you know, to try to figure out if the po- the, twi- the, p- the tweet had posted already. Um, then we could just say, that, oh, that, 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 that tweet is posted and not, not, not posted again. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So if there, to kind of more generalize, if there is a way 
we could take the content of the tweet and identify it by its content, then then we could say, okay, the the content tells me these these are the same. So if Twitter if Twitter doesn't mess with our content, if Twitter doesn't mutate our content, then it's pretty easy. We just string compare and go, yep, the the most recent thing posted equals the most recent thing I wanted to post, right? If Twitter True. does mess with it, you could do all sorts of fun stuff. One, one, if you've never read it, the uh, the the paper describing how rsync works is pretty pretty approachable, and it, and it uses this like uh, rolling hash, right? And so it kind of like there's this window, and it just sort of moves through the data and c- computes hash codes for all these things, so it can find substrings really efficiently. It's kind of fun, right? So that idea of like you can just sort of roll through both of them and and go, hey, look, it's like a ninety-two percent match. Okay, well, we'll consider that good enough, right? The most since it is the most recent thing tweeted and it's the most recent thing we wanted to tweet, we'll call it good. Go right. Yeah. Keep well, what was like- the idea of that? Okay, let's write it down and then maybe oh, and then maybe in our attempt log we'll just record that we. We discovered a correlation, and and so that that's it. That's all we needed. Yeah, yeah, true. Oh, that's... so then you could actually log into the UI. You could copy and paste the tweet, and you could just say, you know, I want to get this tweet done a little earlier. I don't want to wait for our robotic bird to tweet, tweet, tweet. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's get this sucker out there. So you just copy and paste it. You put it on Twitter. This thing wakes up and it goes, okay, what's the most recent thing I want to post? What's the most recent thing t- posted? Oh, look, they match. Oh, I guess my work is done. <laughs> let's let's record that. Let's write down the ID. Let's write down the, uh, the story in the attempt log and uh, go back to sleep. Nothing to do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think- yeah, so as soon as you can identify things by their content, it doesn't matter if you have more than one writer. Right, you you could have the human writer, or you could have the robotic writer. Once once you can f- determine equality by the substance of the thing itself, then now now you can determine equality, right? Yeah, true. Um, I do think that there's a little bit of a problem though, because we we're talking about you know when we, when we we wake up, you know we grab the latest the next tweet and we grab. The recent tweets. I use the word recent. Well, recent is kind of a loaded word because what does recent mean? Does recent mean in the last five minutes, the last 10 hours, the last four years? You sure. Know? And, and, and how, ma- how many tweets is recent? You know, Because what if we say, decide that recent means the last 30 tweets, but you know, we get into a, a very energetic conversation on Twitter with someone and uh, between the last automated tweet and the next automated tweet, we have 500 tweets in there. Well, going back 30 tweets, it's, it's not going to be able to find where it was. We must be talking about type systems. If, if it's five, five, 300 tweets in. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Spec is better. No, types are better. No, schema is better. <laughs> Yeah, but that's a good point, right? Like, if a human is is modifying this thing, the most recent thing may not be the most recent thing <laughs> that we wanted to automate. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and so I was actually looking at the the, the Twitter documentation where you can actually, when you grab tweets, um, 
And you can actually say, like, give me the tweets since a particular ID. And so okay, how about if we just, when we're, when we're looking for recent tweets, we basically get, we get the, the tweet we're supposed to post next, but also get the tweet that we the most recently posted, like the last time we posted something automatically. Yeah. And we yeah. use that as our anchor for rolling forward and finding and finding new tweets. Okay, yeah. So so this little worker that wakes up, when it fetches, it it's always remembering the last tweet it saw. So it can use that as the sense ID right. for for getting the new batch. Yeah. And then it can I mean if there's been a lot, it can just keep, you know, pulling down more and more tweets, you know, a chunk at a time until it finds either either a it finds the tweet it's supposed to f- tweet tweet <laughs> sorry either it finds the text it's supposed to tweet and records it like we just said or it yeah. doesn't and then it knows it needs to post it and it goes ahead and posts it yeah yeah that's that's great i like that a lot and and what's kind of neat about this sort of this wake up and and kind of do my thing worker is it like it will get there eventually. Let let's say it throws an exception or there's some intermittent issue and it and it can't fetch. It, it'll kind of like, "Oh, I guess I'll just give up and go back to sleep and I'll wake up later and I'll try again." You know. Oh, let's let's write that down into the uh the uh, action log or man, I cannot remember the name of that thing. The attempt log. <laughs> attempt log. <laughs> Yeah, in that way, this 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 minion, so to speak, is persistent. You know, it, it it it's persistent in that it keeps its data stored so that it doesn't have to remember it between runs. But it's also yeah. persistent in that it keeps trying, even because of failures, to get that tweet out there. Because that's yeah, the most so important thing. Yeah, so then let's say, yeah, it's very it's very persistent in that not as in storing persistence <laughs> but it's persistent as in dog like it's dogged <laughs> absolutely well and then what's kind of fun about this whole attempt log or uh, blame log or whatever you want to call it is if i'm looking and it's like i didn't see that tweet go out at noon like it was supposed to i open it up and it's like oh no this tweet actually went out at 8 42 because turns out nate just got excited and posted it early by hand <laughs> I have been known to get excited, especially yeah. about closure. Not not about type systems, but more about closure. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, and then the one last race, there there is always a race in these things. So the last race is even if you query Twitter and you say, give me your most recent thing, if you have more than one writer, some other writer could be in the middle of writing the thing, right? Oh, so if right. you accidentally... We get two instances <laughs> of this running or, or you're like so pumped up. You're like, ah, I'm just going to post it and the automated thing. So at the end of the day, Twitter has to deal with deduplication for these really, really narrow race windows, right? And there isn't too much you can do about that if Twitter doesn't help you out with deduping if there's more than one writer. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That 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 is something we 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 have run into, and I think we worthy of a whole a whole segment or, or a whole series was is the idea of you know multiple writers versus a single writer. Um, yeah, I think it's a very interesting topic, uh, but I, I I we should not we should just let it pass right by. Yes, and, yes, and it's just it's just worth mentioning. 
<laughs> if there's more than one person messing with this, it, it opens a whole special can, whole special can of worms. <laughs> cool. Well, I think I think we've I think we've enjoyed this can of worms uh, quite well. <laughs> <laughs> Lukewarm, <Yes>. like always. <laughs> da- nice data worms. Nice namespace flat data worms. Oh gosh! Sorry. <laughs> now I'm real hungry. <laughs> All right. Thanks for curing me of my will to eat. <laughs> no problem. Anytime. All right. Well, uh, let's 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 go to the message queue. Uh, we got one uh, this week. Uh, Jr. sent us an email saying he found uh, the he, he's he has found most REPL introductions too high level, and that our episodes really helped him improve his understanding. Well, thanks, Jared. We really uh, appreciate you reaching out um, and letting us know uh, us our, our explorations. You know, as as you can see in the podcast uh, episodes, uh, was very formative, um, and we've really enjoyed the power that it has catapulted us into. And I think we might even do a future episode on some more some of the the deeper ways we've gone into into fiddling and editor integration. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Well, and that's not all. Jr. said. JR was talking about, too, he appreciated our discussion on making maps flatter as opposed to nesting. I think we got into a little bit. We didn't really get into much depth, but I would say, for me, that was a pretty big aha moment, was was trying to have a, a flatter map with namespace keys instead of a nested map. Nesting is, is kind of a pain to, de- to deal with, right? Well, and also the, like, if you have, uh, you know, like, you, like we were talking about in this episode, you have some data from Twitter and you have some data from our stuff, you know, if you wanted to mix it together, you know, well, you have an ID on our side and an ID from Twitter. Well, if you put those in the same map, you, they're going to collide. So the only way we can deal right. with that is to put to nest them. So we have, a, you know, a top level Twitter key and a top level, little level internal tw- key or something like that. But with namespacing, we can just say, you know, colon Twitter slash ID and colon ID, you know, ID, because it's ours. You right. know, we don't have to namespace our own stuff. Um, but it allows those to just be in the same, at the same level. And then everything, like we said before, is at hand. We don't have to, like you said, drill four levels deep into some da- deep data structure because, you know, not only does that tightly couple us to that, that deep data structure, um, it, it's it's hard to read. It's hard to reason about. Yeah, yeah, it definitely. We we have found that using namespacing to help annotate the like the data domain, the information came out of has been pretty helpful because in in one map, like like we deal, I guess to step back a little, we deal with getting somewhat conflicting information from multiple systems, you know, for our day, our day job. <laughs> that is right? such a nice way of putting the, the, the angst we, we deal with. Uh, yes. 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 Mm-hmm. And so, it. so yeah, right. We, we have some like sports data. And so we'll, we'll hear all about the player from system A and all about the player from system B and they'll have some different opinions. And so, so, and even the, the identifier will be different. And so we will want a map that's like fully annotated information where we have a player's ID that came out of system A. So it'd be like, you know, player.a slash ID. And then it'd be the player's ID that came out of system B, like player.b slash ID. So that we can look, have all that information together and 
because when we're joining this on on other data, we need to know we need to know like what sometimes we're joining it with other data from system A, sometimes we're joining it from other data from system B. And so now both of those keys are freely available to us just right there at the top, you know? Yeah, yeah, to do that join. Well, and, and then in the code, it's kind of obvious. Like if you're picking out an ID, you, you, you're, you're sort of forced to put the data domain in the key name, right? So, so I'm like, oh, well, Nate, here's your bug. You're, you're picking out player.b slash ID instead of player.a slash ID. That data came from system A. Oh, yeah. You know, so it, so it yeah. helps kind of document even in the code when you're pulling stuff out. Like, where did it come from? Yeah, it's so, like a tiny little bit of metadata about the, about the, the, the domain without having to go yeah. fully metadata, you know. Yeah, and then and then you can always filter out keys by this data domain or that data domain or this entity. So there's a lot of fun stuff. So yeah, if if you haven't played around with the power of namespace keys, <laughs> you certainly there's a there's a lot to be done there. <laughs> and definitely, yeah. So uh, if anyone else has their story they'd like to share or tell us about their uh, superpower of namespace keys or or the like, go ahead and send us an email at feedback at closuredesign.club or hit us up on Twitter at Closure Design. Yep, you find our past show notes and episodes on the web at closuredesign.club. All right, we'll be back next week. Until then, model your data well. It's all you've got. Thank you.